0: Yeah, but you take all the responsibility that's also your problem you should he- uh, learn to delegate <laughs> well eric knows
1: how infrequently i forget to re- record like that was the first time and it was the time that he wasn't here yeah that's surprising you're usually on your shit, man what's going on it's because you know diego the diego makes me nervous <laughs> he's got so many wow. followers <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right with that <laughs> wait what number are we on 95 welcome listener you are on pill pod number 95 we have lost a member to europe where i don't know where he is right now germany germany Um, italy shout outs to shout outs to victor but he's got some some big feet filling his shoes here and it's again mr diego rizarin who is my, our my... he makes this a true north american podcast <laughs>
0: from Mexico. yeah i I'm so proud to be here. I'm, I'm a big fan of the podcast, of the Pill to be honest with you guys. And I also have to add that even if Victor is currently in Germany, depending on what time you're listening to this podcast, maybe after World War III, is the is the, is the the larger republic of, of North China or the potential uh, uh, longer republic of new NATO or something like that. We'll see. <laughs>
1: depending on when you're listening to this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, Everything's
1: exactly. up in the air over there. Coming to you.
0: <laughs> or Somaliland too or something yeah. like that. We Coming to you from before the apocalypse
2: it's the pill pod
0: <laughs> yeah you guys just dig this out of the dust and suddenly it's a pill pod about spinoza i'm sorry to disappoint there's nothing here to rebuild civilization
1: yeah so i mean we have variously plans ideas uh diego and i got in an argument on on a, a twitter live space about materialism we might pick that up mm-hmm. diego and eric are both really into walter benjamin we might pick that up but at least the general thread that is not yet woven into any sort of tapestry is the episode title, which I'm sure you've seen, God and Communism. Mm-hmm. And we don't know where it's going to go. It's going to be off the cuff. Heyo. Yeah. I guess we we weren't arguing with each other so much as arguing with other, other, other disembodied voices.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: We're, we're kind of arguing about dualism and materialism Versus ideology, and you were kind of lumping religion into ideology. Um, we don't mm-hmm. want to be too heavy-handed, I don't think, because uh, with the labeling, God with the Lord, heavy-handed is not gonna ah be so the, handed, which, the which hand Lord of the market <laughs> the the invisible yeah, hand, yeah, which, which Lord, which of Lord? Lords, King of Kings, yeah. and
2: the invisible reach around. <laughs> Go-
0: God of gods, yeah,
1: yeah, um, uh, but yeah, I, I guess if you've seen my content lately, it's been bending towards uh theology of capitalism, which was mm-hmm. uh my latest video, and then Edward Bernays, so Freud's nephew. This is maybe we'll start with this. <laughs> Freud's nephew, okay. Edward Bernays, was hired by uh Alan Dulles when he was the director of the CIA in the 50s to pretty much just wage psychological warfare on the people of Guatemala and Americans. And he set up this whole advertising campaign, um, distributing leaflets and, and post, or writing in, in the New York Times, I believe, and Time magazine. And he set up this giant psychological war called God or Communism. And the idea mm. was Arbenz is a communist, which he wasn't, but Arbenz is a communist because he's trying to nationalize uh, the United Fruit Company land in Guatemala. And you have to make a choice as the as the hearer of this propaganda. You have to make a choice. Are you going to take the side of God and Christianity, or are you going to take the side of the godless communist? And communist. Of, apparently Arbenz is a Soviet agent, which he was not. But this was the story they told, and it was successful in being able to produce-
0: His antagonism.
1: Right. Popular support in both America and in Guatemala for cooing Benz and sending him to exile. So anyway, that's the backstory mm. why I thought, hey, God versus communism, How, to <clears throat> what extent are these reconciled or reconcilable? And maybe we can just kick it off from there.
2: Yeah. You, you forgot to mention yeah, yeah. Uh, God, Christianity, and capitalism. They sometimes go hand in right. hand. I think, I, they I, tend
0: think to I, I think so.
2: But, you know, Ber- Bernays, didn't he also do something with Dole Fruit too? He's the guy who worked with the United Fruit Company and the Banana hmm. Republic thing came out of Bernays' yep. kind of uh, shock treatment of... Uh,
1: <laughs> and, just, and despite this christianity versus communism thing he was
0: jewish so yeah and he also worked with this this modern notion of the american breakfast as well which when i was working with the food industry i got in touch with some of his work and how he originally changed um, you know that basically americans are so heavy on cereal in the morning because of, of, a, of a campaign they did with kellogg's yeah. introducing this notion that cornflakes was a fundamental part of breakfast which caused a mass disaster of diabetes like giving a point to our friend Marx mm-hmm. again, and um, why I'm why I'm saying by by saying this, let's say by, by the orthodox Marxist tradition, the dialectical materialism is very simplistically saying is the notion that material basis or the material conditions of the world creates or produces idealistic superstructures or this notion of the superstructures. And my reading in the in the tweet space that got controversial uh, appeals is that. My current reading of Spinoza applied to my dialectical materialism is that there's no real dialectical retroactive, retroactive uh, feed cycles between the superstructural uh, um, super ideas and the material basis. And, and my notion being very monistic about this reading is that uh, everything that we understand as subjectivity, ideology, theology, it's symptomatic. It's not dialectic, it's symptomatic. What we can do is use uh, critical theory tools to in a way dig through the mud and see the relationship between the symptoms and the causes. But the causes are in a, in, in a, in a more Spinoza way uh, within a system, uh, within uh, you know, the substance that is just showing itself in, in various forms and modes. But in the end, everything that is idealistic, everything that is in the ideal world It's symptomatic to the material world, but there's no there's no retroactive symptom Uh, there's no there's no way for the symptom to retroactively change the material conditions.
2: So it sounds like to me what you're saying then is that monism doesn't encompass both materialism and idealism. That idealism is almost like a surface effect. It's almost like a I don't know if I want to bring up this word epiphenomenon. It's a surface effect. And there's a one-way causal relationship
0: yep yeah, something like that
2: okay okay i see that i i tend to like to try and expand monism if i'm thinking that way to include ideas and, and ideology but maybe that's not the right way i should be yeah. uh, approaching it
0: i don't know bills th- this was the, the starting point yeah. no? this was the context in which we started this conversation yeah and i would love wow. to hear your guys point of view about this because i'm truly trapped in this idea right now is is not Is it's not a straw man that i'm painting from myself this is truly where I stand in the sense that uh, I don't know if Eric if you knew but my wife is a Lacanian psychoanalyst yeah. and she is practicing like she has over 30 patients so I I've, I've read Lacan all my life I've read Freud all my life uh, I started in, in philosophy because of my son's disease into capacism, into this notion of uh, the excluded others that are not able to produce. And then I got into the Marxist tradition because of that. And now, after all this reading, I got into this notion that even if I understand the value of psychoanalysis and other uh, methodological tools for us to understand the idealistic world world in the end, and, and, and also in action, I see that more and more idealism is nothing more than a symptom from the material conditions. I did. I did listen to the last episode you were on, so this sounds very familiar
2: to me, and I very much sympathize with that approach. And it seems like in the the angle that I kind of take, if you're familiar with what I look at, sometimes is like biosemiotics and some new research. You know, when they when they mm-hmm. talk about gut health yes. and things like that, right? There's a materialistic basis even there, where we're deepening our understanding of how our attitudes and how our moods and our emotions and our ideas are affected by our gut health and what we eat and Mm -hmm. yeah our bodily constitution really affects our ways of thinking as well and you know how can you have a revolution on empty stomachs and and uh (laughs) kellogg's cornflakes you you just can't do it
0: i was i was just having this conversation last week actually last week i so you guys see i'm also in practice and not only in theory i'm not fake to my own beliefs i I organized last week a (laughs) congress in mexico city that we call confluencia It's confluence. And I brought some friends that are philosophers, most of them PhDs from Spain and and Argentina, to think about an uh, Iberophonic identity. So what does it mean to speak Spanish and Portuguese? Since the two languages are the only two languages in the world that share a 99% compatibility and are based on the verbs ser y estar, which means uh, to do and to be, which are, are very materialistic. And we were even discussing how German and English are very idealistic languages because the subject is always implied. And he's implied in a metaphysical sense. And Spanish and Portuguese, the subject only is in action. You know, the subject only is when he's doing. And and we were having these conversations in Spanish about the materialistic tradition and what we can do with the materialistic tradition in Spanish that maybe was not able to be done in other, in other cultures, in other moments in the world, and in other languages, for sure. Very
1: cool. Oh, are you saying that English and and German lends itself towards a theological metaphysics, or an ontology? Yes, the, onto the, the, theology? The, the
0: the the very material condition of the sounds and the structure of the language itself tends to idealism. How does the, How does French fit in with these between the two? It's also very romantic, but I think the metaphysical subject in, fr- in French structure is, is different. I mean, I'm not that fluent in French, even if I can read it and I can kind of speak it. It, it tends to more the the romantic root, to the to the Roman uh, to the Roman root. But specifically, Spanish and Portuguese, eh, the verb is always super active. Like the subject is is acting all the time, he's doing, he's doing in the world. You know, he's not implied as a metaphysical subject.
1: Okay, so if we're asking a question kind of like we opened up with, what is God? What is God for? Um, there's w- many... Uh, this is maybe too stupid... It's too stupid or stupid to try to deal with this in an hour. <laughs> but uh the argument that you made, I noticed, was sp- only about causality. It wasn't about the personality yep. of God. It wasn't about, um, you know, whether God loves us, cares for us, or... uh The utility of religion for like social cohesion or anything like that—you are you—the only thing you care about, it seems like, is causality.
0: Yeah, cause of itself, and not dialectical causality. No, like pure pure difference, cause of itself. So,
1: if someone's like offended because they believe in in God and it's a part of their identity and part of their religious community, um, I don't really—you don't care. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. I don't care about offended people. <laughs> they, they, they don't bring much to this discussion, Well, I don't think honest. dialecticism Starting f- starting from a moral point of oh, view. Oh, sorry. No, to- I
2: didn't want to interrupt you. I was just going to add I don't think dialecticism has to imply dualism. Okay,
0: good. Can we start from there? What's what's a monistic dial- dialectics? How do you differentiate one thing from the other in a monist point of view? having dialectic as a relative when difference.
2: I, when I listen to uh, the sort of arguments that the Zizekians, for example, present against Spinoza, Spinoza and Spinozist influenced posthumanism, mm-hmm. they will say, you know, let's, we, we got to start with Descartes and Descartes famously introduces this dualism, right? You have substance dualism, you have mind on the one side, matter on the other side so, or substance. And... They then travel forward in time to to Hegel, who the questioning of the subject, the critique of the subject was completed during German idealism for them. And now this new assault that is coming from post-humanism, developing a monistic standpoint, is just repeating this kind of gesture that has already been completed that's that's one of that's like a very simplified version of, of what they sometimes say. And so I, I kind of read that as as dialecticism doesn't imply dualism because you're not starting with this dualistic ontology. you're starting with the thesis antithesis but you don't want to say antithesis because the antithesis comes from within the thesis. it's not something external to. The thesis that's that's basically what i mean the the thesis develops into the antithesis through the second stage the negative dialectic stage that's how i put it Uh, it's that's really confusing but it's it seems to say that it's not dualistic in in the in the cartesian sense
0: anyway are you going to comment something bills or can i no i please respond please so so there's a there's a text that i looked up for this from a guy named wilfred uh Cantwell Smith I don't know if you guys heard about him before Uh, he has a book called the meaning and the end of religion and I just want to read something very very quick so first like the the notion of the book is that uh, religion is an eurocentric term and normally what you have to do is that you have to secularize the meaning of religion in order to apply the category of religion to somebody that that is religious Okay. And this, this is, this is, this is what for me causes a lot of this confusion because for people that are true religious, they're not religious for them. Religion is ontology. I, I don't know if, I don't know if this is, this is explaining it clear enough in the sense that, you know, for a Buddhist, Buddhism is not a religion it's a worldview. You have, you have, you need the secularized reading of the word religion in order to apply religion as a category to religion itself. So religion only makes sense from a secularized point of view from religion. You see, like y- 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 the word religion already implies that religion is ideology. Mm-hmm. And, and, and going back to Marx with this, because if we're, if we're orthodox with the reading, is that uh, the material basis create the, the ideal superstructures, mm-hmm. but ideal superstructures exist not only to mask the material basis, but to to perpetuate them in order to to maintain the stability of the material basis that produces the the idealistic superstructures. So in that sense, what is interesting for me, and and I would love to have Eric's take on this because this will take us closer to Benjamin, okay? Mm -hmm. Is the sense of what is the function of religion? Like we we can already pretty much admit that religion is symptomatic. Like religion, religion doesn't create the world. The world creates religion. No, and this is, this is dialectical materialism. Words, ideas don't create the world, the world creates ideas. So in that sense, even religion is a consequence of past material conditions that produce these worldviews. And, and what is important for people listening to this discussion is that when you already use the word religion to describe religious practice and religious belief, you're, you're making a swift of a, a movement of hands and by switching a religious point of view that is ontological that is a notion of the world, is a worldview, and you're treating it as a, as, as a sub, um, subcategory of belief. So it's already ideological. So in that sense, for me, it's already ideology. So for me, the, the, the real question is not, is not what comes before. We, we already have established that material conditions come before. What I'm interested in is arguing whether or not religions dialectically change the world or not. And this, of course, will take us into the field of free will. Because in the end, how much of our consciousness, of our subjectivity interpretation of free will is able to alter back material conditions? You've almost, uh,
2: you've, you've paraphrased Marx very closely there, actually. Um well, uh, right near the beginning, you said the world creates religion. Uh, the, it's the, you've paraphrased, p- paraphrased Marx very closely here. The, the human being makes religion. Religion does not make the human being. Yeah. Religion is the self-consciousness
0: and self-esteem of the human. I'm less anthropocentric than Marx. I think Marx was a, was a crypto humanist. And that's probably the, the problem. I mean, as the same way people criticize Hegel for not being <laughs> Hegelian enough, we can maybe even, even say that Marx was not Marxist enough, in the sense that I think Marx still carries an anthropocentric um, uh, bias that is no longer necessary. That's why I think I, I paraphrase it, because I remember the sentence, but I don't completely agree with it. I, I don't think, I don't think, uh, wh- what was Marx's way? Human uh, yeah, the, the human.
2: This is from 1844. So he's still in his kind of disalienation phase. But yeah, you're, you're right. So that is yeah. Marxist he, humanism. He
1: wasn't really a crypto humanist either. He's pretty much an explicit yeah. humanist. Here is explicitly humanist. humanist at
2: this point. Yeah. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. But yeah, he was right. really yeah. young. He was... Twenty twenty eight yeah. when he wrote 1844. that. 1844, yeah, the
2: human being yeah. makes religion. Religion does not make the human being. Religion is the self-consciousness yeah. and self-esteem of the human who has either not yet won through to himself or has already lost himself yeah. again. So human human-centric, yeah, right, anthropocentric
1: here. And he also calls it, I mean, so people I'm, use this to criticize Marx, but he also says, you know, it's the opiate of the people, which the I people. think is... It's it's misunderstood because we think opiate means oh it's something bad, but it's like opiate is is a painkiller because it's the heart of the heartless Mm -hmm. world. So he's not he's not explicitly anti-theist. I think he thinks that religion is important, but also it serves this ideological function at the same time to be the salve. I think so. You know, you don't need to change your material condition. Yeah,
2: it has a kind of anesthetizing effect because it's an expression of suffering but it creates an inverted world, one that reflects the material world, but in inverted form, just as Hegel is sort of needing to be turned on his head because he gives us an inverted idealistic dialectic, whereas Marx is gonna give us a materialistic dialectic. Absolutely, yeah.
0: So here's where it gets interesting to me because taking Marxism seriously, and if you try to be a serious um, dialectical materialist, you either have to become theological, in the sense that uh, Marxism becomes messianic, since there's a logic to material conditions and there's an endpoint resolution to these antagonisms that will eventually take us to the culmination of history. So there's a poetic messianism implied in the very orthodox reading of Marx. And on on the other hand, you need to be completely uh, away from self-determinism. You you need to be completely a, a, a hard determinist because if in, in, in reading Spinoza again, okay, so the, the notion of liberty from uh, freedom from Spinoza is freedom is the subjective ignorances of the causes that condition us. So we're only free as much as we don't understand the previous causes that conditions our notions of mm-hmm. of freedom. right? So we're only free in in as much as we don't understand the relationships of of cause that provoke our notion of freedom. But if you apply that notion of freedom to Marxism, then the only way to be a truly uh, uh, a dialectic materialist is to be hard determinist mm-hmm. so there's so there's no so there's no room for the the second part of the dialectic to come down from from superstructures to material mm-hmm. basis and that's
2: that's the kind of Spinozist argument because we as as we grow in knowledge we learn what causes things what determines things and so our growth in knowledge brings determinism into play but through that, there's a paradoxical freedom that comes around with knowing determinism. Is that is that
0: right? Spinoza, the best explanation I've heard about this, this uh, the definition of freedom from Spinoza is that you're standing in front of two doors, A and B, and you choose to open door B, okay? And you open door B and you feel happy that you went through door B. But the issue is that door A was always locked and you never tried. So you have this notion of freedom based on your your bodily experience of the world, and you tell yourself the story of freedom because you don't understand the limitations of the material world. In the same way that we think there's a certain degree of freedom from our actions, but we don't understand all the microbiome Mm decision-making that is taking place prior to subjectivity that condition our notion of freedom. Yeah, I think
2: I like that. That's com- complexity theory as well today, right? We we just sort of retroactively project free choice onto our decisions. Yeah, after the fact. After the fact, <laughs> yeah, after, after after the fact. Yeah. I was free to choose door B
1: in the first, I could have chosen A. So are, are you saying, Are, are you, you're making a determinist case more or less here? Hard determinist? I know.
0: Yep. Ah fuck don't put me there okay. i don't know man
1: cuz <laughs> when we're dealing with like spinoza's substance it's not clear that we're talking about the way we conceive materialism that's why it's called spinoza's god it's not necessarily material yeah but i guess the ignorance of of not knowing what we had chosen it, i don't i don't necessarily think that it leads to determinism necessarily because you wouldn't know either way so I guess in terms of making a claim or making an argument it would be very difficult to argue that the world is determined if it is determined.
0: So so you think there's freedom in mistakes.
1: There's ac- I believe it. I I would believe that there's accidents in a sort of Spinozan universe that could be mm. they could be I agree. called freedom. There's, I agree, and it's the, it's not the freedom of like an individual human subject. I think all of us are past that in this conversation, but
0: the accidents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not
1: liberals, come on, man. The liberal subject. Like that.
0: If you call, yeah, if I, you, if I, you call what I, what me liberal, I'll like <laughs> just.
1: Nature itself can make what we'd call accidents,
0: or or yeah.
1: causeless causeless effects. That's why
0: I would not commit to this notion of hard determinism, because I think there's still some. Potentiality, You know, this difference between freedom from and freedom to that I, I still there's still room for newness, but newness is not experienced or, or I mean, newness is not provoked by the ideal uh, subject that is acting upon the material world. But newness is creative retroactively as our subjectivity signifies what happened after it has already taken place. And maybe by accident or by lack of information, we influence the outcome of a a given point in in, in time and we provoke newness. But it, it doesn't necessarily correspond to what we wanted to do, to what we understood and to the current limitations of the material world. You know, it's, it's signifying after it has already happened. Right. So the ideological
2: you know, superstructure as a kind of surface effect attempts to grasp the material causes, but it doesn't cause those causes. Those causes cause it, but that's what we grasp them through in a certain sense.
0: Exactly my point, Eric. I think, I think you, you were able to explain my <laughs> position better than myself. I, I, yeah, and I, and I like this, this notion that, yes, idealism is how we explain the world. But you see, it's like secularizing the notion of religion to call religion something else that is not ontology.
1: Yeah, this is a it's point like, we kind of move past very quick, but I think it's actually very important, and it's really Nietzsche's big contribution to the to uh, philosophy idea of language. Well, values. As soon as as soon as something is a value, which means it's relative and not necessary, and God didn't invent it, then you don't believe it anymore. So as soon as religion is yeah. something that you can choose off the shelf, if you go into the marketplace of religions and say, uh, I think yeah. I'm, I'm, thinking I'm leaning towards Taoism, as soon as you get to choose, now <laughs> you are no longer yeah. a religious person. Now you are basically a consumer Absolutely. of an idea structure. Marketplace of ideas.
0: Yeah, you see, check this out. Um, I'm just gonna read a part of it. Even more strikingly, Smith notes that ancient Egyptians, Iranian, Aztecs, Chinese, Japanese, Indian, Indonesian, Greeks, and Hebrews did not possess indigenous words for religion. Yeah. You see, religion is a word that was brought from Europe to these other countries. And Europe called them religious. You know, and, and what we have to understand, historically, most of these, of these uh, cultures, the religious word was the same as law. It was, it was a synonym. You know that if it was in the scriptures, it was law. It it was a worldview. It was not religion as we yeah, understand it. Yeah, there's no today. sacred
2: texts in ancient Greece. No, not Hesiod, not Homer. They're not sacred texts. They're just stories embodied in whatever whoever wrote them. Hesiod writes a poem, the Theogony. It's not. There's no dogma. There's yeah. no. There's no central set of beliefs that you have to prescribe to. It's a, it's actually a little bit like medieval Christianity was before the High Middle Ages when it all got kind of centralized and assimilated into a set of beliefs. Then you get a dogma. And if you don't stick to that dogma,
1: you're persecuted. So to return to this Spinoza God, I'm sure you know the Deleuze reading of Spinoza, right, Diego? Yeah, I have the book. Bu- I have the yeah, book so right here. <laughs> if if we have, I mean that you're making the hard determinist case a little bit. And his way out of that, I think, would be to say that what, what you actually observe, I think what you're calling material or the settled world, something like that, what you actually observe is not how things had to be, because reality is both virtual and actual, differentiating. So just because something is a certain way, it didn't have to be that way. And that's why this notion of accident and difference and repetition, why, why difference is still in what we see and observe as actual. So that would be a way to reintroduce the possibility of accident and contingency. And like Eric was talking about, him and I agree on this point in terms of uh, complexity theory. Complexity leads to complexity. And the
2: difference that Mm -hmm. makes a difference, Gregory Bateson. The cybernetic yeah. virtual.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's why I really love your, your latest readings of capitalism in this more uh, machine-like, um, you know. But, but also there's a, there's a theological aspect to the machine-like behavior. But in the same sense that we, we are ourselves unable to judge our worldview as ideological. You know, I think it's the same criticism that, that uh, Freud did to the critics of, of psychoanalysis that people tend to, to use and, and understand psychoanalysis on other people, but not on themselves, is right. as if we are resilient to judge our worldviews as ideological as well. In, in the, but, but in the Marxist tradition, like in the Marxist reading, in the sense that your worldview, it's a product of your material conditions. And if we are strict to that, what we can, what we can say even to Marxism is that the relationship between Marxism and, the, and theology it's also dependent on the material conditions that allow us to make that interpretation in the first place. Because otherwise it will imply us being in a in a what is the name of this uh, punto, like at this point outside, like as if we were standing outside of ideology, judging I- ideology uh, Archimedean from Archimedean point. point. Archimedean. Exactly. It's, it's, it's as if we're taking an Archimedean point to be the unideological readers of ideology which is like that's impossible. I mean, if, if you're serious about Marxism, your points of view are also ideological. But, but I think ideology, because of Zizek maybe, was given this very negative connotation. But, but in the end, for me, the, the problem, and this is the central point of the conversation I wanted to have with you guys, is that re- religion before the European invasion was also ideology. And worldview ontology is ideological. In the sense that material condition produces ideological points of view from the world.
1: Yeah, now you're now we're going into semiotics,
0: which is somewhere where we're both
1: very comfortable, actually. Uh, yeah. but yeah, the, the fact that you can believe something while knowing that it is a sign part of the sign system that is uh, I don't really like using the word determined myself, but it does define the <laughs> channels of possibility within yep. your specific sign system. Mm-hmm. And I think this is interesting in terms of when you're speaking of religion because one one of the stories that I I don't know if it's true or not, but I like I like repeating it is that this whole Buddhism is a way of life thing as opposed mm-hmm. to a religion was a colonial interaction when the christians are, you know, getting all over the world and the Buddhists there say this isn't a religion. Don't worry. Like we are, this is a way of life thing. You don't need to come kill us. We're not like, we're not, (laughs) we're not pagan priests. It's just a way of life thing, which is like Uh what you're saying, this interaction between the Christian monolith, the, the monolithic religion that says everything else is a demonic perversion of Christianity. If it's not Christianity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which creates the, it's a it's a dialectic inversion of all others are in this Manichaean yeah. framework, which isn't an invention of uh, Christianity, of course.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you, you're religious. Yeah. We're right. <laughs>
1: you you have the wrong one. Yeah. We do have that,
2: that problem sometimes, <laughs> yeah. though. And this was like a big vent on like what theory tube. Uh, when that theory tuber was explaining Kant, and it, I think it was Hans-Georg Müller, he did a he did a review of his explanation of Kant and he said this guy's completely confused transcendent with transcendental. Transcendent is that place where god lives, you know, god, freedom of freedom and immortality of the soul, that's transcendent. Transcendentalism is a weird sort of in between, right? It's the it's points more towards subjectivity and the and the categories and logic. Hmm as opposed to the transcendent which is what is just by definition beyond what we can experience we can't experience the transcendent we no. I, I i don't know how you get there it's super sensible it's on it's only in thought it's only in mm-hmm. rationality at least this is I'm, I'm just sort of spouting out some Kantian stuff there but I, it's a, it's reasonable because zizek does hold to this right he's he's a he's a transcendentalist in a certain way he just has also his theory of ontological incompleteness that goes along with it so when you encounter a contradiction that's because the structure of reality
0: has contradiction written into it paradox Mm. i I would love I would love to bring uh, to bring uh, if if we can at some point a friend of mine from Spain, called Ernesto Castro. He's fluent in English as well, PhD. The guy teaches aesthetics in the um, uh, University of Salamanca. If, no, not Salamanca, Madrid. I think he's in right now. And as, uh, like his notion of aesthetics, you guy will simply adore. Like he's super into Maurice melu Ponty. Like his notion of aesthetics is is very much in line of what we understand as, as aesthetics. I think. And the guy, uh, we we recorded a podcast last week, and he was explaining to me the seven definitions of freedom based based on the seven definitions of love from the platonic dialogues it was incredible like his work is fucking fantastic the guy's brilliant but i would love to get into this notion and this conversation because in the end what i think that the big conundrum is in this conversation and since like i think most of my friends in the in the academic world are either marxist but, or materialist, which is kind of hard, because now, like, if you're leftist and you're not Marxist, I don't trust you. If you're leftist and you're Marxist, but you're not materialist, I don't trust you at all. You know, it's like, it's, it's kind of weird, because it, tend, <laughs> it tends to push, push you to this notion that the enemy is idealism. Mm-hmm. It's, and, and it's messed up, because when, when, you get to, when you get to materialism, my problem is determining the role of freedom in materialism. You know, is exactly what is the what is the right level of freedom? How do we understand f- freedom from a monist materialist point of view that is non-dialectical? Because the, the whole the whole notion of dialectics implies co- uh, concepts that are or, or or entities that are cause of themselves. Because to be dialectical beyond the beyond the idealistic part of of of, uh, of dialectics, if you want to be dialectical materialist. Without the Spinoza point of view that there's no uh, entities that are cause of themselves beyond the one substance, how is dialectics taking place if, if everything is intertwined? What, what do you mean dialectical? In, in the sense that how, how is one thing disconnected from the rest that it can be the cause of something else? So are you, you're making an argument against dialectics. Again, yes.
1: Have you heard of something called negative theology?
0: No. Is, is the Adorno one?
1: No, that's negative dialectics. But negative theology actually mm. goes back to like the the early church fathers in like the the third century. But negative theology no is idea. a theology without the dialectics because oh the only God. thing y- you cannot say anything true about God. You cannot make any proposition about God because God is eternal, transcendent. So mm-hmm. the transcendent. only thing you can say about God are negative statements. What well, God is you not. You can only say God is not limited. God is not limited. finite. So it, it really, yeah. it reduces the dependency of religion and, and like theology mm. on language. It just says the only true things you can say about God are negative statements. Which,
0: that's interesting. I mean,
1: I, I, in terms of uh, theology that I like to read, it's the, the one that I'm partial to because it's the only one that can be right.
2: Or not wrong. That's sort of like um, yeah. what Augustine is. Oh, yeah. Or not wrong, at least. Yeah. At least you're not really making the, false statement. You're just saying what is not possible. Negative epistemology. I'm not wrong. I think that's sort of what Augustine is thinking about a little bit. Like, God, if God fills everything, then where's freedom? It, it, he sort of inhales a little bit, like fff, sucks in, sucks his belly in, and leaves a little bit of room there or something like that. Like that kind of a
1: metaphor for <laughs> negative theology. He
2: just evacuates a little bit.
1: Well, to say Mm -hmm. anything positive about God then, that would be to create difference. But you can't create difference in God because there is no difference in God because he's everything.
0: God is everything. So can we we talk about the instrumental use of religion in Marxism and maybe go go there? Because there's two readings. We can have the reading that the one you said at the beginning, saying that um, uh, religion was also almost antagonical to communism, because, of course, in a sense, uh, some branches of of Marxism, Leninism were uh, atheist. But also there's uh, Walter Benjamin. There's other readers of uh, social Christians, uh, socialist Christians that have found a way to... To make the two, the two schools of thought copulate and, and coexist, which I find very hard to, to believe. Eh? Like, it, I find it hard to believe for an idealistic point of view to coexist with a materialist transition. Either, either you stand from a point of view and you say, okay, dialectical materialism is messianic. So since dialectical materialism is messianic, I can choose whatever narrative or whatever literature I want to overcoat and paint over material uh, dialectic materialism to help me tell the story in a way that people will will empathize with you know it's like eric was saying i just choose a, a painting a coating of paint to put over dialectical materialism because there's a bunch of cogs and mechanisms going under that we don't fully understand but response to a uh, to an internal system of logic which is dialectical materialism and we paint over it judaism christianism whatever whatever story you want to tell but but it's a very laid-back position because you're just waiting for story to unfold where sorry where are we going with that Com- comparing this comparing this like being a marxist oh, okay, and right. having some theological background and and, ha- and being a marxist and being fully fully atheist but also being a determinist because you have to commit to this idea of, of dialectical materialism.
1: Well, there's a few, I mean, just to like, give the, give the options on the shelf here, you can, there's like socialist Jesus is one version of this. Like Jesus is a socialist revolutionary before the, before the <laughs> advent or like religion is a useful tool for getting buy-in, which is a rather, I guess, kind of cynical view that we can use religion to organize but we don't really believe it you know um and then there's right or the psychoanalytic approach like we need to believe in some higher power to be able to like believe in ourselves so it's a again a cynical humanist argument i'm kind of partial to the cynical humanist argument actually i don't believe we're really free but we kind of need to believe we're free to get things done
0: yeah exactly but you're you're making an argument
1: about strictly speaking Uh, metaphysics right yeah okay what do you think eric
0: what do you think eric
2: i mean there's there's so many ways i want to go with it in a in a way i i like the the negative theology approach because i do want to make room for spiritualism in marxism i think it is just practical Mm. to say you know okay there is Christian socialism, it is a valid position, just really practically speaking, saying there's a huge swath of people out there. Like in, a, in an earlier episode when Matt was speaking with um, uh, Aaron, I think his name was from um, from the ICS, from the Institute for Christian Socialism, that many people are driven out of, away from their faith because it's been you know colonized by republicanism and really like right-wing views. So... I think hmm. just practically speaking, I don't know, I go, I'll i try to get back to theory, but I mean, just practically speaking, we need that. We need, we need to be able to say, if you have some kind of faith, whatever it is, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, there's room for you in a socialist movement. But how we take that then back to Marx's work and say, okay, well, here's where, you know, like it's the opium of the people isn't to say it's a bad thing. We've already kind of established that, right? It's an expression of suffering. And that's the key word, it's it's expressive. So it is it is ideological. And in that sense, it has a kind of anesthetizing effect. Suffering is at the heart of religion and our suffering makes us into believers and, and believing helps us deal with that suffering. Just as, you know, psychoanalysis tries, depth psychology tries to look inwards and see that those sources of suffering.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm gonna quote probably one of my favorite philosophers and thinkers of all time and say, do ideas matter? <laughs> that's
2: yeah, that's the problem, right? If I <laughs> if, if ideas are simply caused by material circumstances, not simply, actually very complexly caused by <laughs> material oh. circumstances, then then what good is it? But it depends on how you make you feel, right? It's 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 an effective kind of st- you, we have to be in the realm of affect, what 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 Peirce would call firstness, right? Affect influences first of yeah. all. And it's and it's getting to reality yeah. because reality is that thing, right? Ideas don't matter to reality, because he defines it as reality is what exactly what it doesn't matter, what you or I or any number of people think about it. Reality is reality itself. But there is still an effective approach. Almost. There's still so it makes us feel things. Hmm.
0: Yeah, so my question is specifically in that end of the loop. So, so we're saying that there's um there's a material condition that produces ideas, and how these ideas feed back into the cycle of changing material conditions, of changing reality. That's that's my my question is there. Like wh- when do exactly and how does exactly ideas and understanding that ideas are caused either completely or by mistake or by misinterpretation or by some sort of openness that is potential, how do they feed back into the cycle that change the world? Yeah,
2: because ideas come built in with the possibility that you are wrong, that you are mistaken, that you are not grasping it properly. Because we know that ideas are exactly what allow us to grasp the material basis, but then ideas come baked in with, with you, you have to be fallible in your approach because if you take ideas as simply causing reality or causing the material base, then you're approaching something like fascism or totalitarianism in your thinking, and that, and then that's not, you know, that's that is not conducive to, the, to moving forward into kind of some kind of revolutionary consciousness, revolutionary subjectivity. That's fascism.
1: Yeah, and on that point, I I never someone to say you can't believe that because it's wrong. I don't, I don't even think honestly that you can say that and know that you're correct in saying that somebody else is wrong. Um, but on your point, this is going to be the most postmodern thing I say today. <laughs> <laughs> one of one of top, top ten. To, to, it's not always effective in terms of like cause and effect, especially in a social situation, to be correct. And I'll use Nietzsche here because Nietzsche talks about the use of truth and how our use of truth is so violent that it makes us wither. So he talks about if you, if you pull away the horizon, if you pull away someone's capacity to believe in something, including yourself, if you, if you say I, I shall not go any further than this and I refuse to believe because I refuse to be wrong, you suck out the air of the atmosphere is what he says, and you become this withered little plant because for us, whether it's stupid whether it's right or wrong meaning is a dimension of space for us that we need Necess- we almost need necessary. to have the opportunity yeah. to yeah. have ideology
0: to give to to, to give, give meaning, meaning. to
1: our, ourselves to give meaning to yeah. to history experiences on history we need we need it to matter yeah. even if we're wrong about it and i think it might be more important that it matters yeah. than that it's correct
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost like saying, like, the, the story is important even if the story was not true. Yes. In in the sense that, but but I, I don't know, I, maybe, Eric, I would love if you can do this. Do you mind explaining the, the automata example from Walter Benjamin and theology being hidden under the table?
2: That's a tall order. Um, let's see. Let's see. The story told of an automaton constructed in such a way that it could play a winning game of chess. Okay, I got to refresh my memory of the of this. A puppet in Turkish attire sat before a chessboard. So why does he
1: have to be in Turkish attire? <laughs>
2: yeah, you will see. <laughs> so there's a little there's a little hunchback. He's an expert chess player, and he's and he's hidden under the table. And through a system of mirrors, he's able to play the game. And it looks like it looks like the game is playing itself. It looks like there's an automaton sitting in front of it. Is that is, is that the basic thing? The the puppet is historical materialism, and it must correct enlist the service of theology in order to, in a sense, justify its moves. And the, and so Benjamin sets up this this again. I'll I'll say I'll say it. It's a dialectic in a certain sense, right? Between theology and historical materialism. But there's another player in this game is historicism and this goes back to the this goes back to the the sort of contextual argument right there's there's historicism is coming out of social democracy and the social democrats are somebody that marx was a little bit upset with in the goethe program because they were capitulating to the bourgeois in their ideas they had these false ideas about labor but I don't know how far I could go with this, because it's you know i came I, I came to Benjamin through the task of the translator and, and writing on his earlier mm. stuff. And then you get the cultural materialism. You get the cultural materialism of of, say, Raymond Williams and the British New Left, who pick up benjamin and mm. and they pick up uh, Antonio Gramsci in order to talk about why the revolution fails. Because they're not paying attention to the cultural, they're not paying attention to that ideological superstructure because they are reductive. They're not that and, and that was a distinction I didn't I wanted to bring up. Like being a determinist doesn't mean you're a reductionist. It does it doesn't mean you're reducing Correct. everything to an economic basis, a materialistic basis. Yep. It simply means that if you take a complexity view, you, you can be a non-reductive determinist. And mm-hmm. And maybe maybe you can maybe someone else should carry it on from there because that that puppet is historical materialism
0: and the dwarf and the dwarf and the dwarf, dwarf is, is theology.
2: theology and the dwarf in a sense is yeah. the ideological superstructure that retroactively justifies the
0: moves and gives the gives meaning. But then again, what I think is cool about this 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 image that is being painted by by Benjamin is that um, theology acts. Through dialectical materialism on the world on the chest, and also there's a there's a teleological uh, reading of this story, like um, this notion that history has a purpose. You know, history has an endpoint, has a has a mission to be fulfilled. And and it's interesting in a, in a practical sense. I think uh, theology can be instrumentalized to fulfill the purpose of dialectical materialism, as in this story from Benjamin. But also, as Marx warned us, theology can be instrumentalized to stop the motion of dialectical materialism as in the opium of the people. So I think these are the two complex readings that we have to give that sometimes religion helps people find a class consciousness or uh, understand their position in the world as though the ones being uh, alienated from, from their own selves and from work and whatnot. But also, theology can help with a messianic point of view as being this uh complex system closed cl- causal loop of determination that yes there's a there's a course of history that is resolving antagonisms that are presented in in given moment in time that will eventually solve themselves and and produce the future produce the new
1: so you want to maintain kind of the first thing you said there and then get rid of the
0: second thing is that to be honest, I, I don't completely know. I think, to be honest with you, I, I'm, I'm more leaning towards the second one in the sense that uh, I think we use theology to help us understand the, 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 the point in history in which we get in contact with, with, uh, with the process of, of dialectical materialism. But in the end, when we look back at them, we're going to secularize them all. And, and I'm scared that even some ontological or metaphysical questions that we use today. To, to cover over the work of dialectical materialism is going to be eventually looked back upon with a category such as religion. Oh, you fear that. Oh, yeah. I think we're going to look back at this point, moment in time and say, oh my God, they were so full of themselves and so ideological but they were acting as they as if they were outside of ideology well this is the battle there's
2: a there's almost a master-slave dynamic going on right puppet implies a kind of slavery <laughs> right and so the theology uses yep. materialism but materialism can also use theology and 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 the theses kind of enacts that shifting motion right if if historical materialism can hmm. get on top and use theology to its own ends as opposed to theology being on top and 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 using itself to justify the material conditions like benjamin thought you know benjamin thought carl jung was was quite fascist in his thinking and i think that goes towards one of the readings of freud is that it's used to normalize people who have you know, neuroses, psychoses, it, you, it, mm. it, it's a way of it's a way of um, reigning back those neuroses and then normalizing them and, and and setting them back into capitalism and say, okay, now you can be a productive member of society because you've gotten on top of your neuroses, mm. as opposed to you know accepting the fact that neurosis is a, is a
0: fundamental part of subjectivity. Eric, that was fucking beautiful, man. That's, that was beautifully put, and I'm glad Pills is back. Yeah, I, I was
2: comparing um, historical materialism using theology, as opposed to theology using historical materialism. means, text, the theses on history, en- it enacts that struggle. It's a master-slave dialectic. When theology is on top, you have this situation that I just compared to a certain reading of Freud, where... Freud is a normalizer, right? You take someone with a neurosis, you try to give them the tools to handle that neurosis and then insert them back into society to become a productive member, good capitalist. as opposed to the other way around, which you could say neuroses is a fundamental constituent of our subjectivity. and you should accept that you know being you know being different is what gives you your unique perspective in a certain more in a more self-help soundbite kind of way, right?
0: Yeah, and, and, my, and my segue uh, to going to Deleuze from here, pills, and I would love to hear your take from this because it's a pity that we never got Deleuze on Marx. I think is one of my biggest bone killers in the history history of intellectual work. But I think, I think there's a relationship here in the critique Deleuze does to psychoanalysis in the sense that this uh, founding meets that in a way Freud went all the way back as much as he could to find these structures as a reflection of psyche that is only materialized in the in the repetition of these myths, right? So, uh, Oedipus is nothing more than a manifestation of something that we have within our our structure of, psych- of, of, of psyche that is uh, tangibilized or in, in this relationship that we have with family, with others, with libido, with sex, with pleasure, with sense, with uh, permission and whatnot, okay? So, what Deleuze says is that the schizophrenics, when they are hallucinating, they hallucinate on everything. They don't hallucinate based on myths. Like the hallucination is completely, uh, rhizomatic, you know, hallucination is rhizomatic in, in the sense that it doesn't have a beginning point. It doesn't have a reference, like hallucination proves that our, our free, our true free relation with the world is rhizomatic in the sense that we can dream about being a, a plant and having a Jewish stomach and, you know, like being uh, s- stolen during the night and going everywhere with this, this notion of schizo. But I think it's also a criticism that Marx was being instrumentalized as any theology can be instrumentalized to sort of create a tangible human nature and, and human nature. It's a fundamental antagonism with dialectical materialism because human nature doesn't it pre-exists human it, it 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 it's made manifest in the work that we do with nature we don't have essence essence we have existence we exist first and then essence is produced and 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 psychoanalysis tends to be essential in the sense that it finds in old narratives the structures that naturalize our behavior in the world and this is anti anti-dialectical materialism so that's why i think there's some super strong insight into a delusion reading from schizoanalysis analysis, trying to think that every theological structure tends to create a naturalistic behavior, a natural human nature, you know, and this is completely anti anti-Marxist.
1: Okay, I, I'm,
0: does it make sense, or am, am I am I crazy here?
1: No, no, no. I, 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 I want to respond to this, but keeping the, the listener in mind, because you went, uh, you're you're quite advanced on this point. If
0: we're if we're doing reading metaphysics, so I wanted to think. I'm just a, I'm just a selfish dad. like <laughs> forgive me that no I, d- I, I I did I didn't study philosophy I just read a lot that's it I've never, i never never d- done a lesson in my life
1: <laughs> I would like to kind of pick up three quarters of where you were there in terms of the relationship between capitalism and religion because you're you're kind of saying that history okay. creates not human nature in general but human nature's Dependent on, you know, what the material conditions are demanding at the time. Exactly, exactly. And we're talking about like secularizing away from religion. And then maybe in the future, we'll look back at the, the, the period of secularization differently. We don't know whatever accidents happen. Yeah. But really the the understanding of the liberal humanist, specifically Protestant Christian, I'm coming to see, in my current work largely, as a product of capital. Because in in Europe- Absolutely. The Catholic Church, the monolithic Catholic Church is the thing that is like preventing free exchange in the 15th, 16th century. Because there's, just Mm. like for example, you're not allowed to lend money at interest, right? Mm. So it's- Usury. Right, there's there's all these rules that stop and like and like the whole social safety net is dependent on 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 the church, and you have to give a certain amount of your money here. So what Luther and Zwingli and these reformers, Calvin, do is they make religion just this closeted, tiny little personal experience, personal of relationship with
0: God. I, I, you don't religion. need you yeah, don't need yeah. the social
1: structure. You don't need the soci the social aspects of religion. We need to break that down, and if you're, if what you're saying here is right, Diego, they're, they're not, res- they're not really believing this. They're doing this as unconscious agents of a cybernetic deity called capitalism, despite whatever reasons they that give, and they're going to give reasons yep. back and say, oh, you know what, the Catholic Church is corrupt. We need to ha- return to the limited power and influence to return yeah. to yeah. the
0: original meaning of,
1: of christ yeah. how about
2: those indulgences hey
1: eh? those are pretty
2: those are pretty exploitative yeah you,
0: you know i made i made a i was into a, a tweet battle yesterday i think and i was uh, having a discussion with a guy about the definition of neoliberalism and my defi- the, the one that currently works for me the definition of neoliberalism is the instrumentalization of the state to further the pro- the the profit motive so is using the state to advance the, mo- the profit motive. This is neoliberalism for me. But then uh, the guy, uh, is, uh, he's an orthodox Marxist, he said, well, this is not new. The state has always been in work for the profit motive. I mean, the state is the one that gives property ownership. Without the state, there's no property. The only thing that I can attribute in a positive sense of view, the notion of property is the state. So the state has always been uh, 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 an, an agent of capital. And it's kind of true. And I mean, you kind of, you've kind of painted in your video about capitalism starting in 1551, if I'm not wrong, right? With these first explorations, right? So, so yes, we, we have always been neoliberal in, if that's the definition of neoliberalism. But I, I gave a, a dialectical reading that is that, okay, is liberalism was the, the movement and the division from the divine right of kings from the state. But if you read it dialectically, the, the theological aspect was not superated as an empty negative, but it was integrated in service of what was produced after the Ohraven, in the sense that the new state that was created after liberalism is a state that includes theolo- theology as an agent to further the product motive. But then neoliberalism is the superation of the state to give more freedom to the market. So then the state is, is sublated and it becomes an agent to further improve the, the motives of capital. But the motive of capital was always the, the one that was moving history. This, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is my reading of liberalism as, yes, church is getting too powerful. It is getting in the way of commerce. So we're going to sublate it and we're going to dialectically go over it and make theology work for capital. And then the second movement on neoliberalism is that the state is getting in front of capital, so we need to sublate the state and get it to work for capitalism. This is my reading of liberalism and then neoliberalism. Then mm-hmm. and then in the seventies and eighties, you get deregulation and
2: and Reagan, Reagan, Thatcher, and all that sort of yeah, lazy fair liberalism going uh, turned up to one hundred and ten percent. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I get that pills. What do you think? <laughs> I'm so obsessed right now with the idea of limits and limits in capital, because I think the only thing that it observes as a cybernetic system, which is not conscious, um, I mean, it might be conscious by extension through like individual capitalists, but not in the first case. Mm -hmm. But the program that it seeks is, where's the block? Where's the limit? How do I overcome it? It's pure rhizomatic it it finds it, yeah. it, it and and yeah. from these from these like temporary centers of wealth accumulation which you know britain holland at the, at the beginning united states now it just spreads out and finds these things and it seems like looking back like this happens automatically it's this tentacle yeah growth yeah and there's no restraint of morality. Morality is an inconvenience, obviously. Doesn't matter. But then yeah. So my question, I guess, to turn all this back is if that's the thing that you're fighting, what do you do with meaning to to I guess humanize that? And this is why I think humanism well, is a strategic response, not something I actually believe in, but something I think we almost need to believe in, because it's the only way to introduce a value system
0: that is foreign to this logic that only seeks out blockages. To capital. Right. This, this is interesting, because my, my current reading is that, and, and this is a recent shift in my, in my point of view, um, I think I went from being an anti-capitalist, which it, I think is a very infantile position, you know, looking back at myself, uh, to being a post-capitalist. And I think, and this is more rigorous to the materialist tradition in the sense that capitalism is not something to be antagonized. Capitalism is something that will- No, it loves antagonism. It wants that. Yeah, exactly. It, it, yeah, it's, it's almost like the sense that what impedes the way becomes the way. You know, whatever resistance you put in, form, in front becomes the way of expansion. It's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like this is system theory, you know, like exactly where you set the limit is is where it's going to exhaust the the greater amounts of force yeah. to overcome it. It's 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 almost counterintuitive to our notion of resistance. Mm-hmm. Is 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 insane. Eh? Like this systematic reading of capitalism is truly brutal because it shows us our impotence in a way. But what, what I'm saying of being post-capitalist, and I think this is something that Engels mentioned when he was confronted with this notion that some primitive cultures were communists, and and of course. They cannot be communists because communism can only come after socialism and after capitalism. So there's no way for a primitive uh, organization of power or social organization to be communist. It doesn't make any sense. Communism necessarily needs the unjust, immoral, the predatory development of capitalism i think you
1: know, all that is solid melts into air well, all that is sacred is profane but
0: is it, isn't that isn't that sentence used in the se- in the sense of um, of a compliment to capitalism
1: yeah because it dissolves the feudal order it, it dissolves yeah. the authoritarian order
0: yeah it, it, it's, it. it's a it's a it's a compliment to bourgeois revolutionary yeah. spirit. in the sense that, that well dialectics can only be taken serious if you say the, 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 the current state of, of things that we're living in is a, is a, is a resolution from past antagonisms. And also I, also, I always love to remind me this sentence from Hegel that was recuperated by Marx and Engels, that everything that is real is rational, and what is rational is real. But then Engels added, what is real is rational, and what is rational can be real. Mm-hmm. You know, in this, in the sense of that, that it doesn't, it doesn't closes the loop, but it opens a possibility for rationality, if rationality is truly rational, to eventually become uh, actualized in history. So, in that sense, my reading is that yes, we live in, and, and not, it's it's hard to make these claims without moralizing, but we live in the only possible time. Right, like this is is it, is almost deterministic to say that there's there's. If if there are some organizations of state power accumulation and production, is because they're rational up to a certain sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, you either accept that, or you marry yourself to this notion that we're truly free and that everything is spontaneous and it was created out of voluntarism and free will. No, it, it has to have a certain level of rationality for it to operate. What we have to what we have to understand and almost take a vow of, a vow of of humility is to say that things will change. When they're rational enough to change. So if if we're not ready to overcome capitalism, is because capitalism hasn't give, hasn't produced everything that is able to produce in the sense of, of rationality and in the sense of the logic of the material world acting upon itself in a causal. Complex Do I sense. hear some accelerationist
1: tones in there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, step on it, baby. <laughs> well,
2: no, it's it's not. You know, if if what we're saying is you know capitalism is the most revolutionary mode of production so far there's no so far we yeah we're gonna have to out revolutionize this ex- ex- extraordinarily revolutionary regime and what i said earlier about you know we need you know we need the, we need to make room for meaning and spiritualism and I'm, I'm trying to be nice to the theological crowd saying that but how like we do really have to think hard about how you know marrying Marxism to theology is going to create some kind of context to, I mean, out revolutionize capitalism because it loves opposition, right? The limits you set for it become the guiding principles for the next step. It doesn't take any kind of limits or blockages. It takes those, it co-ops them and it moves forward and, and it moves up to the next stage. And yeah, I mean, accelerationism is just about speeding up that process. My my only worry is really about, you know, things like climate change and stuff, right? You talk about materialistic basis, like is accelerationism going to lead to the failure of the material basis for civilization in the first place? Then where does revolution go, right? We've got heat waves in China. We got Pakistan underwater. We got two massive hurricanes hitting North America. It's... Yeah. earthquakes. You,
1: you see the Swiss yep. glaciers just fucking getting dissolved? Yeah. And that's where the flooding
2: comes S- from yeah. too.
1: But I mean, that's like kind of what it sounds like, Diego, you might be saying is this, it, it will only change when it's rational for it to change. Which, and I, yep. I hate the infantile position of accelerationism insofar as it says, well, we shouldn't do anything then. It. If, it, oh, yeah, if it's fuck it. it accelerationism then just like
2: because well, re- accelerationists but, are but thinking you know, about but Bitcoin know... and shit like that more, more <laughs> than they're
0: thinking about yeah no 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 I think those are those are like dumb libertarians <laughs> they, they, they don't even know they're just being milked out of their money like fucking idiots it's, it's, yeah. it's insane it's the biggest pyramid scheme in the story of the <laughs> yeah. universe it's it's ridiculous I mean if if all of capitalism is a huge pyramid scheme like NFTs and crypto is like the pyramid scheme the pyramid scheme of our generation But but moving beyond that I, I think like this, even if, if it's a naive position to, to, to assume a selectionism, but it, it pre-implies a notion of freedom. It pre-implies your consciousness as an active agent of change, which is already, pre- for me, a lie. You know, it's, yeah, it's, I know. It's,
1: That's lib shit. It's like y- your decisions matter because yeah. you're you and you're
0: special. Yeah. It's like people saying like, oh, my God, if you're like at the moment that I'm presenting my documentary about the World Cup. Right. So everybody's saying like, ah, oh, but if you're really against Qatar and the uh, and, you know, the six, six thousand five hundred people died, you you should boycott the World Cup. It's like. I don't believe in the market. What do you mean, boycott? That's fucking dumb. It's like like to, to, to think that my decisions actually influence the market is to be liberal. Like that's the worst insult ever. Of course I don't believe in the market. It, it won't alter itself because of my decision. That's that's retarded. It's like that's that's probably the lowest you can get. And, and in that sense, I think even being a Marxist, it's kind of hard that you have to to find your own your own point of view about how much you can influence the system back versus how much you are a product of the of the system itself and and this is this is my yeah my and
1: i think if i think that's totally true and if you're honest you're always more a product yeah. than you are a producer
0: unless you're rich ex- exactly ex- exactly my point exactly exactly my point feels so people come back to this notion of uh, are you revolutionary or reformist like, what do you mean, reformist or revolutionary? Like, you have to determine for me first if you're a product of the system or if you're an, an agent in the system, because and this is this is my issue. My latest arguments are always with Marxists that are in the in the in the root idealists and moralists. Yeah, this and moralists. Is, this and is my that is just my I, massive
1: is, shift of the last six months has been like, capitalists are not bad. They're not good, they're not yeah. bad. You're not good because mm-hmm. you're not a capitalist. You would be if you could be. You would be if you just had accumulated gener- yeah. generational yeah. wealth, you would be exactly yeah. the same unconscious animal that they are. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Marx I mean, Marx talks about this
2: sort of thing. The exigency is of competition, right? If you if you start bringing morals into the way you run your business, you're going to fail and you're going to descend into poverty. There's certain exigencies that you just have to follow. It's not, it's neither good nor bad. It's just what is (laughs) there's no good nor bad thinking makes it so. Uh,
1: all right, Hamlet.
0: Yeah. Are are we going to look back at morals in times and say that moral was the religion of our, of our generation?
1: Yeah, I don't, well, I don't I'm back on genealogy of morals, which we opened up this, uh, this episode with, and you, you need an, a plant needs an atmosphere to grow. You can't grow in a desert. Yeah. So then I think what are void. we supposed to make myths? You know, that's what I would like to be the goal to make better myths. And
0: maybe this is where the loose wanted to take us in the sense of how do we create the new, how do we produce, how do we truly produce the new? And this is, this is for me a big, big question. How are we able to not change in the moralistic sense? And I think this is, is, is almost where we ended our last conversation as well, Pils, without Eric. That I'm, I'm not worried in this moral point of view and, and, and understanding that my son is condemned to homelessness and living in the street by the capitalist logic. And even, even saying that, I understand that capitalism is not a moral system. This is 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 not a moral failure to be born unable to produce it's it's a matter of efficiency it's a matter of productivity that is it's a logic that works within capital for the accumulation of capital for the sake of itself that that doesn't account for for human capital and this is why i'm, I'm always punching on this this button of of raising consciousness that we're no longer humans under capital we're human capital like the 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 subcategory capital is more important than the subcategory human under the logic of the system itself. And even, even understanding that my direct family, my, my son is extremely fragile within the system. I understand that the system is not to blame in, in the sense that it's, it's, not a, it's not a moral failing that I'm judging and saying that, ah, we should be better. We should aim to prosper and to include others. It's like, dude, there's, what do you propose? Like what system is more efficient at the moment? Yeah which which is the mo- which is the most productive system in the history of mankind to be to be a marxist is also to understand that there's nothing more productive than capitalism what we have to understand is like Eric said there's limits to capitalism and how do we deal with these limits how do the limits propose an alternative how do the limits produce further capitalism and 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 how can we use the creation of the new as potential alternatives, as desirable paths for the future, and stuff. yeah,
2: that that is what makes me a little annoyed about the moralistic or idealist materialist position. Is that yeah, you, you can't bring morals into the picture when we say things like you know Trump is an aberration. No, Trump is Trump is democracy, an appendage of capitalism, working just as it should. It's produced its result that it is made to produce it's not an aberration it's not an anomaly it's working just fine and that's how it's going it kind of annoys me when it's like oh well we just have to be more moralistic and teach voters you know to vote with their vote with their hearts rather than just with their heads vote, yeah, harder. vote yeah, harder vote harder vote with your heart not just your head right like i mean benjamin you mean saying here, you know, it's not, it's not a fight for the future. It's a fight for the past, right? It's a revolutionary struggle as a fight for the past to articulate. He says in the thesis six here, you know, to articulate the past historically doesn't mean to recognize it the way it is. It means to seize hold of a memory as it flashes up in a moment of danger. And there's a certain element of messianism is about the past. And and then through that, we move into the future, not about the fight for the future simple as if, you know, events are this sort of linear progression beads on a string. I want to reconnect
0: Spinoza's ideas of freedom with uh, Benjamin's reading of history in the sense that, so Spinoza readings of freedom are, we're only free as we are ignorant of the causes that produces us. And Benjamin says we will never be able to produce the future unless we fully reconcile the past. Like it's, it's almost, there's, there's something there. No, there's, am am I crazy? There's, there's a synchronicity. No,
1: I, I think the connection there is on something that we haven't brought up yet, which is labor because Marx is a labor realist. And I think because of the way we have all grown up, we do not believe in the reality of labor. We believe All in labor commodities. We believe that commodities are things that can be sold like ir- regardless of labor. And I was thinking about this earlier this week, actually. The only place where we really consider labor to be something real is in intellectual production. Like if you write a book or make a, make a YouTube video like you do, no one thinks that that belongs to somebody else when they when they come into possession of mm. it. But if you buy headphones or microphone or shoes, you think that that thing belongs to yeah. you now, not that it belongs to the labor that's invested into it. And you were saying earlier, of course, capital doesn't, capitalism doesn't give a fuck about you, but it does care about your energy. Yeah. It cares about the energy yep. that it can extract from you and our, the ideology I think all of us believe We're even knowing that it's incorrect, but we still believe it is you produce something and now you know, now it's no longer yours. So there's this division Hmm. of energy that you've expended really materially, truly energy has been moved from you into a commodity, into a product. And we disconnect those two things and say, you know, now the product is like self-caused. As you're talking about in the in the Spinozan sense, it's on its own. It's not connected mm. to all those that that network that generated it in the first place, and not just whoever sewed sewed the shoe together, but the global network that transported it from Vietnam to here or, or whatever. But we forget that labor is real, and I think that might be a first yeah. stage to demystify the the ideology that even I absolutely believe without remembering that i believe it yeah
0: is the things that you don't know you know so it, it's 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 interesting that you brought labor into this and because you know like this notion that the the dialectical part of of dialectical materialism is antagonism resolving themselves and um it, what, there's one definition of, of truth from hegel that is in one of his texts in phenomenology that i really like is that uh, freedom uh, freedom is the attitude to overcome that which impedes freedom. So freedom is the attitude to overcome whatever limits freedom. But, but also, eh, capitalism is the attitude of overcoming that which limits capitalism. So there's, there's also a dialectical reading of capitalism as this ever-growing machine that grows where limits are imposing to it. It's, it's almost like capitalism is the, the geist manifesting itself and dialectically overcoming wherever we try to stop it. You know, there's, there's a fucked up Hegelian reading of capitalism as a god that I, I would love to explore into at some moment. But what I wanted to get into this is that this notion that um, being, being a messianic, orthodoxist, materialistic, dialect, dialectical materialist from a Marxist point of view, r- story is fixing itself out, is figuring itself out as it... At antagonism clash and new solutions are going to evolve out of these, out of these antagonisms that are getting revolved. So labor, right? So you said when we produce content, maybe the people that are seeing the prod, the product of our work, of our energy doesn't see our commodity as being alienated because they cannot separate the, the production of our labor from the, mer- from, from the merchandise. So already a part of the alienation was solved. Maybe we still feel alienated because we know YouTube is keeping 30% of what you make. So you feel kind of robbed and and you don't fully recognize yourself yourself in the result of your work. But a part of the, of the, the four types of alienation presented by Marx, one of them maybe was resolved within the production of capital. Like within capital, we gave birth to these content platforms that monetize our time directly. But by monetizing our time directly, they overcome one of the alienation's uh, antagonisms. That was the alienation between, we don't see the, lo- the labor force in the merchandise that we consume, you see? And maybe, and I'm, I'm not dreaming, not being messianic, eh? but maybe this is, this is the dwarf under the table. The dwarf under the table is how new technologies will eventually, even if by mistake, the resolution of said antagonisms that then will be signified as uh, a, new, a new moment in history.
1: I mean I don't I, th- I don't think it's arguable that I feel less alienated editing vi- editing my videos than working than in a factory roofs on cedar roofs on rich people's houses.
2: But that's the the yeah. type of alienation where you don't own the product of your labor. You don't see yourself in it. It appears in the marketplace as something foreign to you and your labor which mm. originally produced it now this collapse of time and space actually closes that distance a little bit it doesn't it doesn't help the alienation it's still not you it's still not yours but it's much closer we can see what it's doing yeah. we can see what's happening and i i gladly give my time and my energy to these things because that's what you know that's what we need to do i like. i guess i i just like to be closer to it and that's my that's my my idea that doesn't matter these are my ideas that don't matter but at least i get to see
0: them and i get to see the metrics and i mm-hmm. get to see the reactions but, but then but then you see eric my point was that um and, and correct me for wrong the four types of alienation is alienated to nature alienated to yourself alienated to worker to others and alienated to work or what was the fourth one? The product of labor. The the product of labor. Okay. So you see, so, okay. So we're still alienated from nature very much. We're still alienated from the product of our work because even us as creators, you see yourself, but you don't fully recognize yourself in the result of your labor. Like uh, this part of alienation, I still feel kind of there, but alienation from others. This is where I find interesting about about what you said, uh, Pils, is that even if I don't fully recognize myself in the result of my work, because as Eric said, there's some degree of alienation that is not resolved. People don't alienate the fruit of my work right. from myself anymore. That, that uh, if we break it down in four parts, that part of alienation, at least, is is, change, is different. Yeah. It's lessened, at yeah. the very least. Yeah. And as Lenin said, eh, like the, the process of dialectical materialism, of, of becoming post-capitalist, it could be centuries. I don't know if you can survive it.
2: Yeah, <laughs> no. If we we think you know, if if 1844 Marx was about disalienation, whereas Das Capital Marx is is not an accelerationist, but closer to that position where it, capitalism's internal contradictions have to play out. And so that that's where I don't know if I want to go straight. Accelerationism, okay, yeah. Accelerate these internal contradictions, right? What what happens if time and space collapses and we at least stop <laughs> recognizing? We don't recognize ourselves in the product. Doesn't resolve that, but there is still a certain immediacy to it. To it is mm. that it, it, mm. is that the process? That's that's the process that is happening, and then you have sort of. I guess the bigger picture comes from like Yanis Varoufakis talking about like platform techno feudalism, that is that's the yep. next phase. That we're we're speeding towards that, and we're in a new kind of
1: feudalistic next phase. And I, so I really I, I want to talk about this for a second because I don't know if it's right to say that it's feudalism, which makes it sound like we're going back. But really, I think what's happening when we say like the rent economy is capitalism is running into a final limit, which is the liberal humanist individual. And so far, we've been thinking- It will overcome it. Yeah, so far, we've been thinking, oh no, liberal humanism and capitalism, they work great together. But capitalism reached its new limit. It's found you as an individual. It's saying, now, now I'm going to mine your eyeballs. I'm going to creep down your brainstem, yeah. commodify your, your attention. I don't give a fuck- Drug I don't give a to fuck work if harder. there's an individual here or not. You're you're now just a rent yep. machine. So we, oh, yeah. I think that we're the running people- to that contradiction, and then like the question is, what's next? Of course, we're running into a limit. I yeah. think.
0: So what will be cool here is is well, uh, looking at literature and entertainment, the way we dream about the future, not about these notions of cyberpunk and um, uh, post-apocalyptic worlds and whatnot. I think we haven't been able to fully embrace the nightmare. Of post human capitalism. You know, like the, the, the true nightmare of post human capitalism. You know, like this, this, uh, this we see it in crap. Yeah, cracks, and we still think we're going to survive it. That's stakes. an ideology at its
1: purest. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. That's, that's liberalism. That's liberalism to blame because liberalism still thinks uh, capitalism is working out of human, human freedom. Yeah. That's the problem. They don't see capitalism as a system, as, as a self-sufficient system and an independent system with its own logic and its own set of goals. They see capitalism as a manifestation of human action. This is the this is the fundamental problem. They believe in axioms, for God's sakes. It's, <laughs> it's beyond dumb. It's beyond dumb. It's, it's like it's dangerously and priv- dumb.
1: Like and, and privacy and in, in the sense of personal yeah. ownership. You do not own your own attention anymore. Like consider that. What do you yeah, what, nothing. what is you nothing if you don't own your attention? They
0: they have created this notion that there's a drug that can make you feel like a second was uh, I think a hundred years, right? So the, mm. the first thing we can think of, the first we're gonna use that to to punish prisoners and to shorten your, your sentences and still condemn you to labor and to make you like experience reality Wait, in a is completely this fictional? No, this is not fictional. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is why I think people haven't taken seriously enough the, the, the nightmare of, of post-human capitalism. Like, people have no idea what it's like to be drugged out of your bed to produce until the point that you're needed, and then you're long, no longer needed, and you're worth less than cow dough. You know, it's, it's, it's this, uh, we, we cannot even fathom the, the notion of amoral systems, because we are so anthropocentric. yes. It's like a
2: dream or the moment of death. There's like a, a, a thousand years can be just packed into that. But a, a, dr- a oh, yeah. drug to
0: induce that, that's something else. Yeah.
2: That's no, something it's insane.
0: else. Yeah, that's, yeah. This, and, this is, and this is for me the, the limit. The limit is um, if, t- uh, and, and again, this is where you fall in this ambiguous line. Am I a religious communist? Religious in the sense that I think communism is a worldview that explains everything and it's going to figure itself out even if I don't act. Like like, am, am I that type of religious communist? I, I take communism as a religion that is over determining itself to overcome capitalism eventually. Or like, do I have to take it seriously enough to also embrace the fact that humans are not necessarily part of the equation? That's a nice thought.
1: I'm not ready to yeah. go there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. F- <laughs> fuck that, man. Yeah. I-, I-, I hope I'm dead way before those things come out. Like really? Oh my God.
1: Because I am, philosophically speaking, I am a posthumanist, but I don't even want to imagine that because it's too terrifying. Yeah,
0: it is. I think it is.
1: Which is, you know, only a God can save us, I think Heidegger said with
0: response to that. Have you seen this new anime from Netflix, uh, Cyberpunk 70- 2077? No. It's not a video game. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's based on a video game. I I didn't play the game, but I watched the anime because it's from one of my favorite studios from Japan, Trigger Studios. Their art style is out of this fucking world. I swear to God, it's the the best that I've seen in TV for a very, very long time. Even just because of the art style, it's worth watching. But it touches on some trans and post-humanist topics that are quite interesting. Like, you know this uh, paradox of the Sheep of Teseos? Theseus, yeah. Like this notion. Oh, Thesis, yeah. yeah. yeah Theseus. So they, we have changed the piece. We have repaired mm. the ship so many times and we have changed the pieces so many times that how can we tell if it's the same ship, right? right? If it's the same ship. So I think this, this notion comes back to, to what we understand and a key part of the myopic point of view of liberalism as they they, they, don't, fully, they don't fully embrace the notion that even humans are, how can I say this? It, eth- ethereal in in a very in they a very,
1: believe in
0: uh-huh. the well,
1: how do I put this sorry I was like all coming in here hot like I knew what I was going to say no, no, no they no, no, believe, no, but, they but, believe I'm the word in problem. the morality of capitalism really at bottom they're like okay it's going to yeah. go this far but no further Whereas I think if you really understand what an amoral system is, you are just, you're going to dissolve. Yeah. You are going to become the limit that the church used to be. And it will dissolve you, break you into parts, and you'll be like just an extraneous little bump spore sitting around waiting for something. It. Wait, and it'll, it'll I love use it. you
0: to do something. It'll need you for something, discard you. I I, I, I almost could listen to these liberal snowflake in my mind saying, my boss is not, bad. It's not that bad. You know, it's like the the boot that steps on me is not <laughs> that heavy. Bro, it's super heavy. You have no idea. It's gonna stomp you so hard you have no clue. But it's almost like do they enjoy it in a sense type of way? I think you'd a, I think you'd a call question. that pure
1: ideology.
0: <laughs> it's not <laughs> enjoying <laughs> your symptom. Yeah, enjoy your symptom. They fell in love with their symptoms.
1: In a sense, it <laughs> is true though. Like the the suffering is profound, but not profound enough for us to think this is the only thing that matters like when when <laughs> when peasants are starving they don't care about their life yeah. enough to keep it right in like i don't know 18th century france right the tipping
0: points of revolutions
1: like if, if you're starving yeah, it doesn't matter point. if you die so until we're starving yeah. we'll just let the rent out our head and eventually that contradiction yeah. will reach reach its uh, culmination and it
0: always brings us to the question it will, will it be soon enough like, like, for example, where do you do manifestations today? You know, doing manifestations on the streets is fucking worthless. Nothing happens on the streets. Like, soon there will be no buildings to manifest in front of. Like, what do you do? Cancel politicians <laughs> in, in Twitter? It's like, that's your last line of resistance? It's so pathetic. It's like, oh, my God. I, I don't know. Like, it gives me the creeps to think that um, when we reaches the point where dialectically capitalism as this geist that is overcoming whatever limits it, is 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 needing to overcome us as the final barrier to be overcome we won't have any tools of resistance in the very delusion sense
2: i think another angle i was just thinking of through all that too is that our heads are spaces for rent for ideas in the sense that you know uh, like guattari and the the production of subjectivity right we've been talking a lot like like the base and the superstructure are two separate things and really, when you think about the production of subjectivities, subjectivity, you know, ideas are just squatting in our heads in a certain way. We're, we're giving free rent space mm. to ideas and subjectivities. Uh, that, ni- that nice mm. book Maurizio Lazzarato writes about Guattari, and, and that seems relevant to me. If, if subjectivity is produced, whereas on the other hand, liberalism is, is kind of on ego, egoistic. It's we are rational, self-possessed individuals who are almost present at our own birth in a certain way. No, that's not the case. We're almost we're, we're almost born. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say tabula rasa, but we are subjects that are produced for capital to then exploit in the future. We are shaped and we have to break out of that in a certain sense. Or maybe maybe Deleuze and Gutzri wouldn't be prescriptive like that. But that's
1: that's where we're heading towards. Well, not tabula rasa, but I think it's like inarguable to say we're already born in motion. We're born in a trajectory. You're not born sitting still before yeah. some causes come and affect you. You're you're born in motion.
2: Yeah, like the yeah. process relational mm-hmm. kind of view, as opposed to just the egotistical view where it's like, I am my own person.
1: Yeah, and if you're born on an accumulated yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, gravity well of wealth, wealth, then your life will be very different than if you're not born with that. And that's that's really Misery. not up to you. One, one of my
0: my dream projects is to research the use of corn in Latin America as a big eugenetic pro, uh, uh, project to dumb people down.
1: Corn corn's the next after your football documentary?
0: Maybe. I will, I would love to research the effect of overconsumption of corn in Latin America to make people stupid.
1: Wait, what? this is an epigenetic effect. Corn makes you dumber?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. The corn is is barely non eatable Oh, wow, for we're humans. back to cornflakes again then <laughs> with with uh, Hey.
1: <laughs> It's a perfect full circle. Of course we're back
0: to fucking cornflakes. (laughs) And we're at (laughs) biosemiotics. So, Eric, you can... uh... (laughs) Yeah, but but, but absolutely, Eric, in the sense that, you know, like, for example, because of my son, my wife, and, and she's fucking brilliant. I would love for you guys to talk to her sometime, even if she doesn't give interview because of her practice. She has no public figure at all. She takes psychoanalysis very, very seriously. But she went into epigenetics because of my son's disease. Like, we started looking at his behavior from psychoanalysis, and it was a dead end. You know, this, he has no language. What do you do? So we went into epigenetics and biomedicine, and and predictive medicine. So we changed his diet. We went with nutritionists, with uh, endocrinologists, with epigeneticians, and we changed like uh, supplements and uh, he, what he eats and whatnot. He started speaking. That's wow.
2: amazing, and that and that and that's the amazing yeah. thing about epigenetics and the way that you know neo-darwinism has kind of colonized our view of biology right and it it takes out what's his name not darwin but the other guy lamarck right lamarck had the ideas that within your lifetime certain things could be produced that would be then passed down rather than you know whatever richard dawkins the selfish gene kind of theory where epigenetics is not an option Mm. in that point of view i guess i guess there's a certain amount of of scientific literacy that's going to be needed to develop among people too in order to sort out which ideas are really new epigenetics is something that's Mm. fascinating and interesting whereas you know the Neo-Darwinists and the followers of Richard Dawkins need to just go.
0: They need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <he just laughs> stop talking. And you know, j- j- just to clarify, so when I say he st- he started speaking, like still his 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 vocabulary is super super limited. But we saw progresses in his cognitive abilities. So this is my point. Like, okay, let's say we're not we're not free to ideologically change the world, but out of the efficiency of capital of feeding mass workers with whatever was the cheapest available option, we produce subjectivity that are a physical consequence of the consumption of corn.
1: I don't want to touch that. Why not? Because I don't know anything about it.
0: <laughs>
1: I, that yeah, that sounds
0: wish. like uh,
1: compelling,
0: but... Oh, yeah. yeah. That, that, that's, why, that's why I'm saying it's one of my dream projects, to research that. To say if, how, to, to what point, because we know it's true that your food alters your psyche, your mood, your, your predisposition to the world. I mean, come on, er, we, we're researching now the effects of early Alzheimer's in people with diabetes and is related to, to sugar. Mm. You know, of, of course, our, what we put into our body changes our, our not, not our psyche, it's more like our ability to produce a subjectivity. So in that sense, I would love to go into detail and to see how, even if it was not out of pure intention, we created a whole series of subjectivities that are consequence of material conditions out of mistakes of our interpretation of freedom. But it was truly the intention of capital acting through us In maximizing profitability work and feeding people with something that is cheap i really like this uh, idea not knowing any of the details
1: but i really like the idea of pointing out these sites that are in plain sight like corn is one of the most and not Uh just like not just people eating corn but like livestock and animals most of what they eat is corn it's not the best thing for them to eat it's much better for them to be eating grass so all of this comes to a head at this little site and i really like these investigative projects you did one with football and we'll look forward to that next one and we'll you could just you should just keep coming back every month
0: diego yeah i mean ah man i I love it these are the best conversations go on
2: about it right because corn is a system effect someone i haven't brought up before but jason moore right the cheaps of capitalism right and it's a system mm. effect we we move to industrialism they prefer cheap cheap nature what, what do we get in all of our industrial <laughs> kitchens now we get salt we get sugar we get those cheap flavorful things uh i and, yeah. and corn corn has the same gi as sugar and isn't corn
1: also one of the most modified it has the same gi oh like yeah like intentionally guess, modified it, it, as a domesticated yeah,
0: it's, it's, product yeah oh yeah right now 99% of the human consumption of corn is from one species that is created from Monsanto we almost eradicated all corn varieties around the world for one of them that is the most resistant and the easiest to replicate the decision is purely is purely within the logic of capital purely within the logic of capital
2: yeah, right? oh, yeah. yeah of capital. and it's making us all it's, yeah. it's 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 having a deleterious
0: effect to say the least insulin resistance you know is killing my because uh, microbiote like the, the, the diversity of bacteria in your gut and all, in all your body is dependent on diversity. But because we tend to eat, because of the efficiency of capital, specific types of food, it leads to the diminishing effect of having a variety of bacteria. But in the end, this is like the counterintuitive reading of complexity theory. If complexity leads to complexity, the uncomplex system of, of bacteria in your gut can lead to uncomplex outcome of subjectivity. And of course this is me being completely <laughs> ludicrous doing these ideological reading of material conditions but 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 for sure there's a there's a chemical argument yeah, to be I think made. Yeah, are onto
2: something there. There definitely, you know, monocropping, genetic simplification, the, the GMOs in order to be more resistant to certain pesticides which then brings more monocropping and genetic simplification then suddenly everything is just one Type of corn, we become we become corn people. Yeah, we become corn
1: people. <laughs> and even yeah, if you're skeptical uh, the about the cappy cappy Pot. genetic like effects of corn on your conscious, what, what what you are doing in effect, from a complexity theory perspective, is limiting the potential for any accidents to happen, which changes, which makes exactly. like reality more predictable, which is what capitalism wants. It wants prediction. It wants the easiest map, the easiest causal relationship. You see this and then you react in a predictable way. But also, and this is even probably a more important point, when a system becomes less complex, it's also able to deal with less complexity. It can't produce complexity and it can't deal with complexity, meaning that it cannot deal with unforeseen circumstances. It can't deal with accidents. It's more like a, a... a domino the f- the first domino is more likely to cause the next domino because there is no adaptation available in the system
0: we need to have this conversation with matt and vic i would love to have the uh, liberals on this there's so many things i would love to bring up and see their point today, like age.
2: one of our dungeons and dragons games we'll never get off the beginning we we'll, be ar- <laughs> we'll, we'll just
0: be arguing ah, be for awesome. two <laughs> hours
2: and then <laughs> bring it to an end i used to be a du- i
0: used to be a dungeon master when yes I was younger yes well we're getting it yeah. guys we we're getting, getting it going again. again
1: is there anything else you want to uh point people towards diego before we wrap up we're at almost we're past an hour and a half
0: absolutely not past i will point them towards past episodes of the Peel Pod. oh thank you that, that's enough oh, you're too kind no, okay. come on you, no you guys are you guys are fucking awesome beyond comprehension to be honest with you like I, I just did this event in 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 mexico city and i brought my friends from other countries just for the sake and the pleasure of seeing them in person and having 24 hour discussions about super complex topics which was fucking amazing and i'm just now releasing the podcast that we recorded because i rented a a, a, a tower like a, a four-story building and i put each of them in one apartment and one apartment i transformed into a studio so what we did is that every day we recorded like permutating a and b a and c a and d like and then all of us together and then we did one one live event with almost a thousand people in mexico city to discuss about uh, what does it mean for us to be Latin. And we even brought up the point that uh, Quebec could be part of Latin America. Excellent. I think that's something
2: our (laughs) listeners should check out big time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but it's an interesting argument, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the the Latin language influences, I mean, depends on how you determine what is Latin America. Hey, You could could argue. They're Latin
1: and they are in America.
2: I like it. I think yeah, Quebec absolutely. should Romantic separate and, based, and then I don't know if they're allowed. For sure.
0: And I would love to have you guys on my channel as well. Even if most of my, cro- my, my crowd speak Spanish, most of them speak English as well. So anytime you guys want to come along uh, as standalone characters, avatars, or as a group of individuals, which I, I I tend to believe that you guys exist in real life, I think I'm right. So there's no proof, but I think I'm right. If you guys want to come, you're uh, super yeah. invited as well.
2: That's how we know we're here in Ontario. It's a big horrible beast, it sucks up Quebec's goodness, and it feeds off Western Canada. <laughs> and we're hungry for for that <laughs> nice we need to- Athabasca
1: oil fields. We need more. We need to continue the colonial project <laughs> by taking over Latin American YouTube.
0: Oh my god. Yeah, that's that's the that's the that's, that's the project. That's a true project. Now First you show corn. your technical <laughs> spills.
1: All right, Ontario, hungry. I will. With that, I will (laughs) uh, end the recording. Thank you to all the listeners for uh, coming. Thanks, Eric and Diego. You'll just you just got to keep coming back. Absolutely, we'll make it a regular thing. All right, goodbye, everybody. All right, ciao.